The Independent Audit Committee was established by charter and receives audit reports and other information from the Denver Audit Office. The committee strives to bring greater clarity, transparency, and accountability to Denver's city government and its residents. It is also responsible for commissioning an annual audit of the city's annual comprehensive financial report. This committee is chaired by Auditor Timothy M. O'Brien. December meeting of the Independent Audit Committee to order um, Amy, would you check and see who arrived here with us? Right. Jack Blumenthal. Here. Florine Nath. Here. Leslie Mitchell. Here. Edward Scholes. Here. Frank Rowe. Here. Tim O'Brien. Here. Uh, next item is approval of the November meeting minutes. Is there a motion to approve the minutes? I so move. Second. Thank you. Any objection? The meeting minutes are approved. Um, I'd like to welcome Council President Jamie Torres, Council President Pro Tem Sandoval. Welcome. Good morning. Um, we have a briefing on the Council City Council Operations Audit. Do you have any comments, any introduction you'd like to make? Thank you, Auditor. And I'd like to um, also introduce our Executive Director, of City Council, Benita Rosnos. Um, thanks for uh, uh, having us today. Um, we're, it was a pleasure to work with your team um, and make sure that a lot of the systems that we've been working on, Councilwoman um, uh, Sandoval and I have been, this, we just started our second term, so um, uh, five years, uh, four and a half technically into Council. So um, it's been an interesting experience for us to also observe how Council operates on the inside and try to improve the systems over the time that we've been here. So appreciate your help in doing that. Thank you. Sonia, you want to introduce the team? Yeah, I'll do a brief introduction and then I'll turn it over to Emily to introduce the team. Good morning, I'm Sonia Montano. I was a senior audit manager on this audit. Our function as an independent agency is ensuring accountability for the people we serve. It is our responsibility mm -hmm. to ensure taxpayer dollars are safeguarded and the city is operating efficiently, which is achieved by providing assurance and transparency to the public through our audit reports. This work is done by reviewing areas such as operations, programs, and financials in city agencies, but it also includes key branches of the city's government, such as city council. All areas of the city can benefit from an outside review and perspective on how operations are structured and managed. We hope these audit recommendations assist city council to improve some areas of work they do. Now I'll turn it over to Emily to introduce the team. Thank you, Sonia. Good morning, everybody. My name is Emily Owens Gerber. I was the manager for our city council operations audit that we're presenting this morning. Team members joining me here include Daniel Emerkanian, senior auditor, Alexander Munoz, senior auditor, Natalia Keatlinski, associate auditor, and Danielle Edwards, senior auditor. And the lead auditor on the team, Isabel Pupa, is joining us from the gallery. And I just want to take a quick moment to thank you all for your help uh, with us during the audit. We know you're already very busy people and having an audit happening at the same time added to your workload. So we want to thank you, leadership and personnel from City Council for your responsiveness. Okay, 
As we describe on page one of the report, Denver City Council is the city's legislative branch of government with the power to pass local laws along with other important responsibilities. City Council is made up of 13 elected officials, 11 elected by specific geographic districts in the city, and two elected by the entire city as at-large members. City Council members serve four-year terms and can serve no more than three terms. Within City Council, a small group known as Central Office provides support to council members by providing budget assistance, developing fiscal policies, and facilitating communication between members, staff, and other city agencies. Central Office is led by an executive director and includes a human resources manager, fiscal administrator, and other analyst and specialist positions. As shown here and in figure one on page four, Four of the council's 11 districts elected new council members in 2023. The entire city elected two new at-large members, while seven other council members were re-elected by voters. To prepare for the change in council members as a result of the election, central office developed some procedures to assist with the transition and held a week-long council academy to serve as an orientation and training program for the newly elected members. City Council's budget remained steady between 2019 and 2021 before increasing in 2022 and 2023, as we show here and in figure two on page five. In 2023, Central Office's budget made up more than one third of the annual City Council budget, and each council member was provided a budget of more than $470,000, as we describe on page four. In 2020, City Council established a budget working group that meets regularly to discuss budget-related matters such as budget issues, budget requests, and budget-related best practices. Although City Council is an independent agency, its elected officials and staff receive assistance from several city agencies, including the City Attorney's Office, Department of Finance, and Technology Services, as we describe on page five. An assistant city attorney helps with drafting legislation and providing legal advice, while a variety of Department of Finance staff assist council with developing their annual budget and monitoring some council transactions. Finally, Technology Services provides technology-related support, including maintaining and managing city-owned hardware and coordinating cybersecurity training. As discussed on page 34 of the report, the objective for our city council operations audit was to assess the effectiveness of selected city council operations and controls, focusing on three areas. Whether oversight of certain council members' spending, including donations to local organizations, was consistent with applicable rules. The extent to which city council ensured its information technology equipment was adequately protected and the degree to which City Council's processes for council members transitioning out of and into office ensured critical offboarding and onboarding activities were efficient and that they happened in a timely manner. The audit scope included City Council operations and controls associated with spending, information technology assets, and the council member transition process. And we scoped out all aspects of legislative processes and decisions. Timeframes generally cover the period from January 1st, 2019 through June 30th, 2023, unless noted otherwise. And finally, we should note that our ability to collect relevant information to fully inform our assessment of risks associated with City Council's operations was impaired in the early stages of the audit when we were prevented from observing budget working group meetings. This time, I'll pause to allow for any questions or comments related to the background or audit objectives and scope. 
Any questions, comments? Let's continue. Thank you. At this time, Daniel will begin our discussion of the finding. Thank you, Emily, and uh, good morning, everyone. The audit finding, which starts on page seven of the audit report, states that gaps in several city council operations expose the city to risks and inconsistent practices. This finding contains three sub-findings. Sub-finding one, also on page seven, states that some city council information technology-related practices expose the city to risks. We found the following. First, there are missing data and numerous errors in both city council and technology services inventories for tracking the location, type, and user information of technology equipment. Next, council members and staff are not consistently completing the city's mandatory cybersecurity training. And finally, technology services may not be properly ensuring city council complies with its policies. On page eight, we explain that city council and technology services equipment inventories are incomplete, inconsistent, and incorrect. The city's hardware asset management policy says that each city agency is responsible for managing and tracking all data and equipment used in city government through up-to-date inventories. However, we found numerous issues with both city council and technology services inventories. Both inventories were incomplete as shown in figure three on page eight of the audit report. For example, 61 out of 144 assets were missing location data in city council's inventory. On page nine, we discuss how technology services currently relies on city agencies to fill in any missing location and user data. If agencies, or in this case, city council, do not provide complete and accurate information to technology services, then the department may not know whether equipment has moved, loca uh, moved locations or changed users. In addition to having incomplete data inventory, the inventory data was also inconsistent between city council and technology <coughs> services inventories. Specifically, city council's inventory was missing 43 assets reported in technology services inventory. These missing items suggest that technology services may still be tracking devices council does not have or use anymore. <coughs> we also discussed that 10% of city council's inventory was incorrect. Out of 144 total assets, 14 had duplicate serial numbers, some of which were registered in different locations. For some context, serial numbers are unique identifiers assigned to each piece of hardware by manufacturers. Therefore, if two separate assets in an inventory have the same serial number, this may indicate an inventory error. Discussed at the bottom of page nine, we also check city council's inventory to determine whether 11 outgoing members and staff returned their technology equipment to central office by inauguration day, July 17, 2023. City council's inventory showed these 11 individuals had 15 hardware assets as of December, 2022. Five of those 15 were not documented as having been returned uh, to central office by July 17th. We later learned that four out of five of these were returned directly to technology services, bypassing central office, which goes against council, uh, council's internal transition guidance. One item, a tablet, remains missing. On page 10, we discussed that council members returned eight other items that were not recorded in the council's original inventory, including laptops and tablets. According to technology services, these items may have been purchased directly without technology services knowledge, a violation of the agency's policies. At the bottom of page 10, we discussed that city council members and staff are not consistently completing uh, cyber, uh, mandatory cybersecurity training. All city employees and elected officials are required to take four cybersecurity trainings throughout the year. 
However, between October 2019 and September 2023, council members and their staff have not completed these trainings on a regular basis, as shown here and in Figure 4 on page 11. For example, the completion rate was 49% in quarter 2 of 2022 and 85% in quarter 3 of 2023. Cybersecurity training is an integral part of the city's defense against cybersecurity attacks and can reduce the risk of cybersecurity attacks overall. Training is even more critical as both Denver and City Council itself are likely targets for cybersecurity attacks. Using data from 2018, technology services officials estimate that a cyber attack resulting in a citywide shutdown could cost the city up to $5.3 million a day. Finally, on page 12, we found that technology services cannot properly enforce citywide policies on City Council, which may have led to the identified issues discussed previously. Executive Order 18 empowers technology services to administer, manage, and main, uh, sustain the city's technology infrastructure and services for all city entities that operate on the network. However, officials stated they struggle to effectively enforce this authority over city council for two reasons. First, executive orders are signed by the mayor and applicable to all departments and agencies under the mayor, which does not include city council. <laughs> Lastly, technology services officials are concerned that enforcing their authority over city council may lead members and their staff to disregard technology services altogether, which could result in further vulnerabilities to the city's data and network. Without clear enforcement mechanisms, technology services cannot hold council members and staff accountable to critical activities designed to protect the network or use its authority to assess what other policies council members and staff may not be following. For example, on page 13, we found some evidence that suggests that uh, some city council members may be using personal devices to access the city's network, which would violate city policy if not pre-approved by technology services. Ultimately, by city council disregarding technology policy and by technology services not adequately enforcing them, both entities jeopardize the city's ability to, uh, to fully protect the city's assets, systems, and networks. Given these risks, we have four recommendations on page 13 and 14. I will read the first two recommendations before pausing for questions and comments, then move to the last two. Recommendation 1.1 states, to protect the city's assets and network, city council and the city's technology services agency should work together to formally document critical technology services policies that council members and their staff will follow, including, at minimum, those that ensure accurate tracking of city council's information technology equi equipment and consistent completion of mandatory cybersecurity training by city council personnel. As part of this, city council and technology services should list the technology services policies that city council will follow and also describe the steps that technology services will take to communicate any concerns about non-compliance and ways in which it will remedy unresolved risks that are associated with city council's activities. City Council agreed with this recommendation with an expected implementation date of March 1st, 2024. Additionally, please see the auditor's addendum on page 33 of the report for more information. Recommendation 1.2 states that after implementing recommendation 1.1, City Council's central office staff should create new policies and procedures to document the critical technology services policies City Council will follow and the information the central office will provide to technology services to demonstrate City Council's compliance. These new policies and procedures, as well as the compliance commitment, should be shared with all council members and their staff. City Council agreed with this recommendation with an expected implementation date of March 1st, 2024. 
At this time, I'll pause for any questions or comments from City Council or Audit Committee members before continuing to re read through the remaining recommendations. Any comments from the Council? I guess I'll add um, a little context if I can. Sure. Um, one, of the, um, one of the experiences we all had was um, a pandemic, being officed at home, and then coming back into the office. And I know um, for my office in particular, all of my team um, got rid of their central processing unit and operated just with a laptop. Um, that happened across 13 offices um, differently, right? I still have my desktop and I have a laptop. Um, they just have their laptop. So it was that kind of transition that we were going through as well that doesn't surprise me in terms of numbers because tech service was doing that for everyone in the city at the same time. So um, just a little bit of context in terms of uh, uh, what was happening as we were doing a lot of that um, transition work. Thank you. Questions from the committee? Let's continue. Great. Uh, on page 14, recommendation 1.3 states that City Council central office staff should create policies and procedures to better ensure all outgoing council members and staff return all city-owned information technology hardware. The procedure should include, at minimum, a description of who is responsible for receiving and tracking the equipment, the steps to be taken to validate hardware inventory self-reported by council members' district offices, and how often central office staff will request and validate hardware inventories. City Council agreed with this recommendation with an expected implementation date of March 1st, 2024. Finally, recommendation 1.4 states that City Council central office staff should audit its inventory of council personnel's information technology equipment to locate and log all devices currently in use, resolve any duplicate serial numbers, and identify and correct missing location and user data. Once the inventory is corrected, central office staff should provide the technology services agency with the new inventory information and continue to monitor, monitor and identify corrections needed in technology services information technology inventory data. City Council agreed <coughs> with this recommendation with an expected implementation date of March 1st, 2024. I will now pause here to allow for questions or comments from City Council or Audit Committee members. City Council, any comments? No? I, I just I was just curious um, is the inventory system um, a function of workday or is it a separate sub ledger Excel spreadsheet what what is, what is it sure yeah so currently it exists as a separate Excel uh, spreadsheet um, technology services is in transition of creating a, a cloud-based network if I'm accurate on that don't quote me, um, but uh, they are going to be moving to that uh, within the next year, so I'm told by officials. Okay. So there's a, a bit of effort involved in, in keeping this a separate when an asset is purchased through Workday, it doesn't automatically no. get recorded in an inventory. So that's correct. Uh, if you purchase it through technology services interface, that information will automatically update in technology services end. Um, however, but information not. like user or uh, location data comes from the agency itself. Um, but if, if a group purchases it outside of technology services interface, that information does not get updated with technology okay. services. Thank you. Mm -hmm. All right, shall we continue? I have a question. Oh, sure. Um, I'd like, I'd like to go back to page 12 of the report and um, on page 12 
Um, there's, there's, a, there's a whole question of interplay between technology services, which reports to the mayor and city council. And, you know, it's, it's a tough, tough issue because you have elected officials and it takes certain kinds of personnel characteristics to, to run for office, to be in office. Is uh, a council in, in a strong mayor kind of government get into the whole question of what the interface is. And, um, you know, the world has changed so, so rapidly, you know, in terms of what our economy is like. And technology is, you know, just getting into everything in all of our lives. And the question I've got is uh, going to what is in page 12 and is the question of what is the interface between technology services and the council, given that you know you have different yeah and and you have separate branches of government, and I can really appreciate from the council's point of view that in a weak council situation, given what the voters expect of you that you want to maintain a certain amount of independence from the mayor's office. And, and it's not, it, there's nothing personal here. So I'm just wondering if, I didn't see any recommendations on this, but it, whether there might be something done to kind of address what's happening to us in the world. And if, that, if this is a crazy question or not, and if you think it is, I'll shut up. <laughs> no, I don't think it's a crazy question. And it's, I think, something that we grapple with on a variety of different levels. I will say that our uh, relationship with technology services is really strong. Um, the, uh, we will often have um, a staff person dedicated to the work that happens in city council um, during the transition of uh, electors. We, Benita had arranged for um, many tech services folks to be on hand as new council members are starting their office um, as, as of swearing in, right? Um, we're transitioning from full teams to different teams in, immediately. And so um, I think that relationship is really strong. Um, what, what we can't do, right, is, which is different from other departments, is um, like we can't discipline an elected for not taking their training, but we can track it. Um, we can make sure that we're um, demonstrating we haven't seen this done over a particular period of time, which is I think the exchange that we've been having with your team in wanting to make sure that we're, we're quite aware of. Um, we start off with the use policies and the same things that any city employee starts off with when um, they're issued um, uh, technology or an ability to log into uh, the systems. Um, uh, but uh, uh, it's then up to us to make sure that we're also making that um, uh, consistent among our teams. But I guess my question is, and, and I really appreciate where you're coming from. So, but when you say you can't <clears throat> discipline the council members 
And I'm just wondering whether <clears throat> there, there's a process where either council now or each council as it gets reconvened uh, has a meeting to discuss this whole sticky wicket of, well, you know, you're independently elected, but we've got this common thread that is exposing the city the way it is. And, you know, maybe there can be a vote, a discussion and a vote about how city council agrees that for their term, they're going to self-discipline. You know, it just as a, it, it, I, I appreciate what you're saying. It's, it's, that's why I'm asking the question, because it is not easy. So I'll give a different example. Um, oftentimes, technology services provides um, guidance. For instance, the president and I are sitting here with MacBook, not Dells. And um, we got a determination from technology services about two years ago saying they were no longer going to um, help support Mac or Apple products. And so we wrote a letter and that was, a, and we did a survey and more than 75% of us and city council use Apple products, including our council aides for Apple phones. They're issued so Apple phones, yes. <laughs> and so we had to write a letter to the executive director of technology services and say, um, this seems to be inconsistent with practices because the fire department uses iPads, Dottie, um, the, the Department of Transportation and Infrastructure uses iPads. Why are we suddenly no longer going to be able to have um, support? And there was, app, there was inconsistent communication amongst technology service that the executive director didn't really realize that that determination had been brought down. And so I think what we're, what we're the President Torres and I are attempting to do is we each, not only are we a body, we're each in all 13 individual offices. And so I remind my staff that they have to take their cybersecurity. And what I do is reflective representation. I take it. And I tell my staff, I took my cybersecurity, you need to take your cybersecurity. Or I took workday training. Um, and, that's, and then we can talk about it. And we do in our operation, we have a monthly operation meeting amongst all 13 of us. We do remind them. We, we, we actively remind people. But putting um, some type of vote into our rules of procedure our rules of procedure are usually how we govern our city council meeting and how we govern our city council committees. And I've never seen, I've worked for two council members and now currently a council member, I've worked for two separate council members, so been part of city council for 12 years. I've never seen rules where it's pertaining to something that the administration is bringing down that we have to comply with it's usually how we govern and how we um, govern amongst the body. So that, that's interesting thought to say, let's have city council vote on a rule that is absolutely separate branches of government in Denver. So it does, it is this um, fine dance that we have to do and that they need us to govern 
because technology services can't get any contract done if it's over $500,000. City Council votes on all of those contracts and we need them to perform. And so it is a fine balancing act. And I'll just also say that this last session, this last go around, um, we had 98%, 94% compliance on our um, cyber security training. And so we have gone up and it has been a lot in these last, since July 18th, when the mayor declared a state of emergency for to bring on a whole new council, mentor them and bring up their staff and get them to par. And I'm proud that under our leadership, we did get to 94% compliance compared to where this, when, when this audit happened. Thank you, Ed. Thank you. Um, the completion rate of training really has nothing to do with technology services, as you pointed out. Um, do you all have a process where you discipline your staff if they don't complete the training individually? I've never asked individual offices if they have. Your office, your, the staff who report directly to you. Discipline, mm -hmm. no. Does the city have discipline for people who don't complete? Yep. So your processes don't match uh, the city's, is that correct? Okay. The acceptable use agreement, every city employee is required to sign, and it gives technology services the authority to cut off an employee's access to the network. They don't choose to do that in all cases, mm -hmm. but they have the ability to do that. So there is a choose. penalty. And mm -hmm. that applies to city council, because okay. we, we, we sign yeah. that same use agreement. Okay. So the discipline comes from technology services, mm -hmm. okay. You said they don't apply it consistently? No, they have in the past not purposely not cut off elected officials' access because it impacts their ability to do their very important job. So it's not applied the same to all of you as it is to the rest of city employees? The same for the auditor's office? I don't know the answer to that, what our rates I'm are, but I think we're pretty high. Anybody. I'm just <laughs> pointing out the uniqueness 100%. of elected officials, right? Correct. And so if the city on something as important as cybersecurity won't hold every employee uh, accountable in the same manner, that is not, uh, uh, you know, that's a problem. So. It, my only point in your following this discussion is I understand everything that you're saying, and there's there's a lot of good, solid reasoning behind it. But I guess because of the per, the pervasive risks associated with all this, and just the the, per, the interplay in terms of authority, I'm just wondering whether there isn't some way for every city council to to really have a discussion about this, and 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 force it. Because, and as president, you're only the president of a bunch of um, cats. <laughs> so, you know, I, I, I'm not. May I speak to that? Sure. Um, what we've decided to do, because we understand that this is a risk to the city and we acknowledge that. So what we are going to do is we're going to implement a policy and that policy is going to um, um, define what rules we um, adhere to under the AUA or the agreement, acceptable use agreement. And once that policy is implemented, then we will have a, a meeting and present that information to the body. And what it says is that we are going to follow the rules and regulations put in that agreement, and that would be our policy. 
And so that's great news. And then you all need to make it clear to technology services that you want them to hold your staff accountable the way they hold everybody else accountable. And you know, I meet with them monthly. I have a monthly meet meeting with them. And so if there are issues or, or, or things come up that we need to address, I have the opportunity to do that as well if we see that there are risks that we need to mitigate. Sure. Thank you. Thank you. You're welcome. Okay, shall we proceed? Yeah, of course. Uh, so then at this time, I'll hand it over to uh, Alexander to continue the presentation. Thank you. We start subfinding two at the bottom of page 14. Some city council spending practices did not comply with rules designed to ensure transparency and accountability. This subfinding is three parts. The first deals with the city council's support for local organizations. On page 15, we explain how governments support organizations for the benefit of the community. Support is made with donations, sponsorships, and grants. Donations are gifts of money or goods. Sponsorships support an organization or event in exchange for marketing. Finally, grants are structured agreements where the government funds an organization for a specific purpose. The Colorado State Constitution says a municipality cannot make any donation or grant to any corporation or company. However, Colorado municipalities do support organizations thanks to a public purpose exception which has arisen through case law. As a home rule city, Denver makes many of its own rules. We found no city rules that prevent agencies from supporting local organizations. We did find some guidance, including from city council's own policies and procedures. One rule bars city employees from making donations using city-issued credit cards, which I will discuss later. The next two rules come from city council's internal policies. The first requires a declaration form with each donation. This form is to be provided to the executive director prior to committing funds to support an organization. It should then be uploaded to Workday, the city system of record, mm -hmm. along with other supporting documentation, like an invoice. The second city council rule requires that council members report their support to local organizations to the clerk and recorder's office. These reports are to be filed annually. On page 17, we detail requirements from the donation declaration form. Council members must attest that their support for, for a local organization meets several requirements. That it, it, that it is for a public purpose, it benefits the Denver residents, is not for religious, political, or legal reasons, and it complies with any other laws. Our description of council members' compliance with these procedures begins on page 18. We looked at a sample of 10 annual reports submitted to the clerk and recorder's office for the years 2019 through 2022. We also reviewed the supporting documentation and workday for the 150 transactions disclosed in those reports including the donation declaration form, invoices, or receipts. Among the 150 transactions across these 10 reports, we found a variety of deficiencies. As shown in figure six on page 18, 48 transactions, or 32%, lacked the donation declaration form. Also, 73 transactions, or 49%, had a donation declaration form completed the day of the transaction or later. The City Council's rules state that the form should be submitted to the Executive Director prior to committing support for an organization. We also identified six transactions in Workday, which should have been reported to the Clerk and Recorder's Office, but were not. By not preparing the declaration forms timely, the Executive Director may not have time to adequately review transactions. Further, the discrepancies between uh, the annual filings and the activity in Workday would make it difficult to identify what support actually occurred and when. 
We identified several potential causes for the exceptions, as noted on page 19. We were told that guidance around supporting organizations was unclear because the declaration form and internal policies only ever referred to donations. There was nothing which addressed the acceptability of donating goods as opposed to money. Additionally, they did not address who to submit documentation to when there was no executive director in place. Incoming council members said that the council academy training did not make them familiar with donations, sponsorships, grants, or the processes around them. Incoming um, sorry. When we discussed the annual reporting with central office staff, we were told there was no process to reconcile those reports with the workday activity to ensure accuracy and completeness. Finally, we saw opportunities to improve the comprehensiveness of the declaration form. With all of these in mind, we have six recommendations starting on page 20. I will read our first two recommendations before pausing for questions and comments. Recommendation 1.5 says that the city council should request an opinion from the city attorney's office about the legality of the um, city council's members' practices of making donations, engaging in sponsorships, and executing grants with local organizations. The city council should also get advice from the city attorney's office on the limits of the public purpose exception as it applies to Article 11, Section 2 of the Colorado Constitution, as well as obtain a legal definition of a donation and how it is distinct from a sponsorship or a grant. The city council has agreed with this recommendation with an implementation date of June 1st, 2024. Recommendation 1.6 says that, based on the information obtained from the city attorney's office for recommendation 1.5, the city council should update its internal procedures to clearly define a donation, sponsorship, and grant. These procedures should be updated to include guidance for keeping donation declaration forms in line with the city's record retention policy. The city council has agreed with this recommendation with an implementation date of January 17, 2024. At this time, I'll pause for any comments or questions from the city council or audit committee members. Comments? Um, I'll add uh, a couple things. Um, uh, we really do welcome, I think, the process that uh, these recommendations will help build. Um, it's been one of the things that I've seen us building toward since we came in in 2019. Um, and uh, one, a couple things that I'll say, one around the Council Academy. Um, we were part of the 2019 Council Academy, um, woefully deficient. If we didn't already know as prior city employees what some of the city processes were, we wouldn't have known it coming out of that academy. Um, we made steps to improve that. It'll constantly be, get improved. But we're throwing everything you need to know as a council member into one week uh, for a brand new person stepping into this job um, who's also thinking about who do I hire and how do I set up and what are the questions that I need to answer because we have a council meeting the day that we're inaugurated. So it is hit the ground running, um, literally. Um, it, the so the to the point around um, they may not have come away with the accurate memory of what a sponsorship or a donation or a grant uh, was, we find that we have to constantly be reiterating what those are. And so I think an improved form, um, an improved process, because it isn't just our central fiscal person, who is a brand new position actually for city council. Max has been in place for since February. So less than a year, we've had a fiscal admin for Denver City Council. That's the first time that's ever happened. It's always rolled up under the executive director. And so this is a council that's taking very seriously our HR obligations, our financial obligations, and our executive director obligations. So, uh, but all of those things are building and, and getting and coming into place. Um, uh, so with his help, 
um, with Benita's help, um, uh, new policies, new processes for making sure that we have all of that accurate information. Because we want the same thing you want. We want to make sure that our voters and our, com our community members um, not just know what we're spending money on uh, as a council district, but feel really clear that it has to do with the improvement of our district work. So that, that piece, I think, will speak directly to that. Thank you. Uh, questions from the committee? Let's proceed. Recommendation 1.7 says the City Council's central office staff should, should consult with the Department of Finance or the City Attorney's Office as necessary to develop and provide training for council members and their staff on the distinction between donations, sponsorships, and grants. This should include how to record transactions at workday on the donation declaration forms and how to report these to the Clerk and Recorder's Office. Central office staff should also determine and document how often refresher training should be provided. Council members and employees completion of this refresher training should be documented and tracked by the central office. The council has agreed with this recommendation with an implementation date of January 17, 2024. Recommendation 1.8 says the city council should monitor potential changes in the city's fiscal accountability rules regarding donations and adjust the City Council's policies and procedures accordingly to ensure compliance. The City Council has agreed with this recommendation with an implementation date of January 31st, 2024. At this time, I'll pause for any comments or questions from the City Council or Audit Committee members. Any comments, no? questions from the committee? Let's continue. Okay. I'll now read the next okay. few recommendations before pausing for more questions. Recommendation 1.9 says the City Council's office uh, central office staff should update and document uh, the donation declaration form to include instruction on when and how the form should be submitted before city council members make or promise to support local organizations. Additionally, the declaration form should require uh, additional detail about the supporting documentation that council members must provide. This could include how a donation serves a public purpose, where, when, and how the marketing benefit of a sponsorship will be realized, the name and a brief description of the grant being given. The City Council has agreed with this recommendation with an implementation date of January 17, 2024. Recommendation 1.10 says the City Council's central office staff should annually, annually review the Clerk and Recorder's Office's donations reports, as well as workday transactions, to identify patterns of noncompliance um, in the City Council members' financial support to local organizations. This review should be documented and include inspections of supporting documentation to ensure transactions adhere to the City Council's policies and procedures. Even if the practice of donating funds from City Council members' budgets is no longer allowed due to upcoming changes to the fiscal accountability rules, central office staff should continue reviewing sponsorships and grants made by Council members to ensure that these activities comply with City rules. The City Council has agreed with this recommendation with an implementation date of January 31st, 2025. I'll now open the floor for questions and comments from City Council or Audit Committee members. Any additional comments? No. I have a, I have a comment, please. Oh. I just want to make the distinction between the donation sponsorship and the grant. So the grant process has to go through the uh, City Attorney's Office. So that's separate from what would be with the uh, Department of Finance because it's a, it's a, it's a different process. Frank? I just want to make a comment on my organization. I received a grant from uh, 
outgoing uh, Councilwoman uh, Kendra Black earlier this year, and it, it was actually a pretty extensive process that we had to meet with. And it was a grant, so it was with yes. the city attorney's office. And I'm just wondering, um, is this similar to what we were talking about with the technology services that with 13 different council offices, some seem to function better than others? Um, I, I'll say that um, that one is more streamlined, the financial piece, because everything funnels back through Max. We don't have like a tech mm -hmm. council staff person, right? So Max is our fiscal um, uh, guy. And so everything that Councilwoman Black did funneled directly through Max. Any time any of us would be doing a mini grant, and, and hers was the first uh, that we've ever done. Um, so uh, that was directly with Max. So he has a great deal of oversight into that. I couldn't, without Max's uh, um, involvement and uh, guidance, do my own mini grant with the city attorney's office, right? Like it is, it is a much more integral part with other city departments. It worked well. Okay, good. <laughs> That's good to hear. Okay, should we continue? Are we moving from the donation piece? Wait, what about the Direct donation? I just want to um, just comment on this overall and, and, and say that we realize that this is a work in progress and we have uh, completed our first draft of a new form. Uh, it was vetted through the budget working group and now it's going on to leadership for approval and then we're going to present it to the council body um, at our ops meeting in January. Okay. Thank you. You're welcome. We now move on to the second part of subfinding two, which begins on page 22. City council members and their staff's use of city issued credit cards did not fully comply with city rules. Purchase cards are credit cards which have been issued by the city to employees for business related expenses. Several city rules apply to the use of purchase cards. As previously mentioned, purchase cards may be used for sponsorships, but not for donations. Also, Purchases may not be broken up to avoid the card's $2,000 per transaction limit. Finally, technology purchases should be made through technology services and not on a purchase card. We tested 94 purchase card and expense report transactions from January 2021 through June 2023. Our testing involved checking that the transactions were supported with invoices or receipts, appropriate as a business expense, and properly approved. We also ensured the purchase cards were used in a way that complied with city rules. We found the following exceptions. There were 14 donations made with purchase cards. Three donations were on the same day to the same organization, totaling $5,000. This was a clear split transaction. No, oh, I shouldn't have, let's go back. And there was one purchase of a tablet with a purchase card. We discussed these exceptions with council members and their staff. We found the following. One council member said they only engaged in sponsorships, even though the transactions met the definition of a donation based on the documentation. The staff responsible for the split transactions told us they had not received sufficient training to know uh, such an action was not allowed. In the case of the tablet purchase, one of the reviewers noted the purchase should have been made through technology services, but approved it anyway. The fiscal rules are meant to ensure the appropriate use of taxpayer funds, but council members and staff's lack of understanding of what constitutes appropriate purchases coupled with the lack of clarity over whether the central office can enforce these rules, has led to a lack of accountability to ensure that the city council follows these citywide rules. To correct these, we have the following two recommendations, starting on page 23. 
I will read through both before pausing for questions and comments. Recommendation 1.11 says the City Council Central Office staff should track uh, when purchase card holders among City Council members and their staff complete the required workday training on purchase card usage. Because the training can be retaken at any time, the Central Office staff should also determine when a refresher training should be provided to cardholders and track their completion of this training. The City Council has agreed with this recommendation with an implementation date of June 1st, 2024. Recommendation 1.12 says the City Council Central Office staff should review council members and staff's purchase card usage through Workday to identify patterns of noncompliance. <clears throat> this should include checking for potential split transactions, computer technology purchases, and verifying that payments to local organizations are indeed sponsorships and not donations. Any identified patterns of noncompliance should be documented and used to inform how often the refresher training recommended in Recommendation 1.11 should be required. The City Council has agreed with this recommendation with an implementation date of January 31st, 2024. I'll now open the floor for questions and comments from the City Council and Audit Committee members. Comments from the Council? Nope. Nope. Lorraine? Can you tell me the difference between a sponsorship and a donation? <laughs> well, I think that's a little more, I mean, I have, Perhaps I'm incorrect, but I have a definition of grant in my head. But sponsorships and donations, I don't see the difference. I'm not certain I understand the difference between the three. A grant would have a, I would think a grant would have a specific purpose, um, expectations, um, outcomes, use of proceeds, you know, that, that kind of thing more. At least that's in my mind. But donations Alexander, is. Alexander, you want to? Yeah. I asked the same question. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, one weird, uh, the main difference is that a sponsorship is going to be when you're helping to fund an event, you know, something, a specific event generally. Um, when we were preparing for this audit, we looked at a lot of uh, sponsorships throughout the city. Denver Airport does a lot of sponsorships. They go to big industry events, they buy like tables at them, their name shows up in the marketing material for that event, you know, sponsored by Denver Airport. Or, okay. Um, donations are going to be, you're, you're giving some money to an organization, they help it to run their operations. You don't necessarily get credit for it. That's the big distinction between a sponsorship and a donation. Sponsorships will come with some marketing benefit to them. Um, you know, you're, you're getting your name out there as somebody who's helping to something to happen. Um, with a donation, it's a bit more anonymous. And would you give me a definition of grant then, just so that I've got it clear in my head? <laughs> Grants are when we're getting into a large structured agreement you know, we are giving you X amount of dollars to accomplish something. something. Okay. Yeah. Can I add? Um, for us, something becomes a grant if it's over a certain dollar threshold as well, uh, because that requires now a contract. Mm -hmm. And the grant process takes advantage of the city's mini grant process, which is like a, um, a, a briefed contracting process that the city does for um, uh, items over $10,000. Um, so donation and sponsorship are usually below that. Um, for, for my office, um, I could be sponsoring an event. It could also be a campaign that a nonprofit is doing, um, a toy drive, uh, a legal clinic, you know, something like that that they might be trying to get out into the community. Um, a donation lets them do with that those dollars the way that they need to. That came up big for us during COVID when a lot of our nonprofits were trying to get food out or trying to get resources out. Um, so uh, that's that's I think how we've experienced it um, within within a different a distinct office. And 
and I'll just add that in our workday system, there is not a code for sponsorship and there's not a code for donation. And so you have to donations. You have to self-report. And so oftentimes what I would think is a um, donation, I don't need my name on there, but the nonprofit might think I'm sponsoring them. And so there is this different terminology <coughs> amongst the city and amongst our community that you use the same term that Councilwoman Sandoval is sponsoring me. I'm not, I'm not, I don't want my name out there. I don't need to do donating. this. I am donating on behalf of your work, but they feel in community that they want to acknowledge that they're, um, especially during COVID, that their elected official is being part of their community. And so sometimes that gets out that term and I, my staff and I are like, no, we're just donating. We're not doing mm -hmm. that. We don't need to be acknowledged. But yet, oftentimes, when you do do work in that way, they don't want your work to go unacknowledged. And also, it adds credibility to and their event. If correct. This is a table that's been sponsored by and so, Council Member Sandoval, and, that and, adds legitimacy. And right? so we, so there is this discrepancy between what community feels is us helping them. And um, like I have this event jamming on the jetty and it's a, to help Sloan's Lake. Uh, Sloan's Lake is great in Northwest Denver. I never sponsor that. I don't need my name on there, but I do help pay for flyering or pay for to get the word out. And then they ask me to come and speak. So my name does end up on there. Mm -hmm. And so there is these, it, being an elected official, there's, it's this whole entire area of gray area. <laughs> it's all gray, to your point, Jack. It's all gray and figuring out how to do your best to be held accountable to the fiscal rules and fis um, responsibilities that we are, and yet also be held accountable and not get stuck on not doing the work because the nuance of a term that a, a, don't, that a nonprofit wants to use compared to what we are using actually in the city and county of Denver. And so I think that's my question. I think that maybe your background in accounting, it's maybe more clear, mm. but I'm more community service nonprofit world going, if you gave $1,000 to one of my organizations and you called it a donation, but that organization's like, no, this really was a sponsorship. Yeah. And you can't control them. You mm. can't tell them not to put your name on it and don't put my name on the flyer. Yeah, I get it. Going, Jack, your comment of this being a sticky wicket is right on. And I just want to add that last component to the grant, um, the grant process is that, Alexander, there is a reporting piece to the grant that the, the organization that gets the grant has to report back that they've completed that scope of work that you, you've agreed upon. Whereas with a donation or a sponsorship, they don't have to. Right, Correct. right. All right, let's continue. Okay. Thank you. Natalia will now discuss the last part of subfinding two. Thank you, Alexander. The third part of subfinding two begins on page 24. It says the city council did not follow its fiscal policy for purchases during an election year. In October 2022, city council's budget working group implemented a new fiscal policy regarding spending during election years to fairly distribute the annual budget among incoming and outgoing council members. The policy consisted of two main processes, the budget sequestering process and the purchase card and travel card cutoff process. City Council's fiscal policy on budget sequestering states that during an election year, 
54% of each council member's annual budget will be allocated to the outgoing council member, while the remaining 46% will be allocated to the new incoming council member on the day they are sworn in. The budget sequestering process was implemented to prevent outgoing council members from overspending their office's annual budgets and leaving incoming council members without the proper funding needed to fulfill their duties. As we described on page 25, we found none of the six outgoing council members spent over 54% of their office's annual budget. Upon being elected, city council members can obtain purchase cards and travel cards, which can be used for general expenses that support the city's activities and for travel expenses incurred to conduct business on behalf of the city. City Council's fiscal policy states, during an election year, purchase cards and travel cards for outgoing council members and their staff should be disabled on June 16th. For staff who work under outgoing council members and decide to continue working for city council, Purchase cards and travel cards should not be used between the dates of June 16th and the day incoming council members are sworn in. This purchase card cutoff process was designed to prevent outgoing council members and their staff from making last minute purchases, which due to processing times could impact the incoming council members budget. For the 2023 city council elections, incoming council members were sworn in on July 17th. As shown in figure seven on page 25, we found five instances of outgoing council members staff using their purchase cards between June 16th and June 27th, going against council's internal policy. The purchases totaled to $434. Central office staff said this occurred because of an oversight where they did not disable purchase cards until June 27th. Although the amount spent during this time was minimal, the city's failure to deactivate purchase cards by June 16th risked overspending and reducing the money available for newly elected council members. Therefore, we have one recommendation on page 26, which I will read before pausing for questions and comments. Recommendation 1.13 says, the city council central office staff should revisit the council's fiscal policy for election year purchases to determine whether any additional steps are needed, such as improved controls or adjusting the timing for disabling purchase cards and travel cards. Central office staff should document their decision to revise or update the fiscal policy and ensure they adhere to the fiscal policy going forward. City Council has agreed with this recommendation with an implementation date of March 1st, 2024. I will now pass for questions and comments. Mm. Any comments from the council? Uh, the only comment is that um, I think uh, one, sequestering of funds was not in place when we came in in 2019. Mm. It was something that was implemented during this uh, this most recent transition. So it's, I think, a process that we worked with um, with the Department of Finance um, that worked really well and I think set up the new council members um, uh, best to know exactly um, what they would be working with and um, and then know what, what do they inherit from unspent dollars from the prior council member. Um, we absolutely acknowledge um, the PCAR turnoff. Grateful that it was only $434, um, but uh, yeah, constantly improving. And Natalia, just to state the obvious, I mean, the $434 didn't impact the 54%, 46%. No, it did not. Okay. Yeah, no one spent over 54%. Great. Okay, thank you. Danielle will now discuss our third sub-finding. Thank you, good morning. Uh, beginning on page 26 of the report, sub-finding three says, some council members' transition processes were not well documented. 
Before the inauguration of new council members on July 17, 2023, Central Office worked to ensure outgoing council members turned in key equipment that incoming council members had the essential and council members had the essential items necessary to begin work immediately. Incoming council members need several essential items such as identification <coughs> badges, office keys, technology including laptops, and access to city systems. The city council's policies and procedures say these items are assigned before or on inauguration day. We found that new council members uh, did receive these essential items on or before the inauguration in July 2023. However, on page 27 of the report, we described that central office staff did not adequately document whether outgoing council members and staff returned all their city-issued equipment, including identification badges and keys. The central office's documentation indicated that one or more badges and keys belonging to three outgoing council members were unaccounted for. When we asked for further information, we were told two outgoing council members gave their keys to the wrong person, central office did not know the location of a third outgoing council member's keys or badge, and the locks were changed for this office. Central office staff said all badges for outgoing council members were deactivated on July 17, 2023 but the specific details we identified for the three council members whose badges or keys were unaccounted for were not clearly documented. Leading practices by the U.S. Government Accountability Office says managers should establish methods for ensuring vulnerable assets such as identification badges and keys are secured and safeguarded. The City Council's informal guidance to outgoing council members say badges and keys should be returned to the Central Office's Human Resources Manager on or before July 17, 2023. But the central office has no requirement to fully track and document the collection of these essential items, regardless of which staff member the items were given to. The inventory list central office staff uses to track the location of outgoing council members' items show only which items the human resources manager received. It does not show items potentially given to other central office staff. On page 28 of the report, we note without formally tracking and documenting which staff members received badges and keys, the steps taken to address any missing items, the central office cannot ensure these items remain in the city's custody. Even though central office staff said they deactivated the badges and changed the locks for the one council member's office, the policy for doing so is not clearly documented. Therefore, this information is not available to future staff to use as a reference. This poses a risk to the city that these important security-related practices may not be followed during future transitions. We have one recommendation for subfinding three. Recommendation 1.14 on page 28 states the City Council Central Office staff should develop and implement formal policies and procedures to ensure outgoing council members and staff return their keys and badges by the date set by the Central Office. The procedure should include, at a minimum, a description of who is responsible for collecting keys and badges, how staff will, will track and document when keys and badges are turned in, who outgoing members and staff should turn them into, and what steps the central office will take to collect them if necessary. City Council agreed with this recommendation with an expected implementation date of March 1st, 2024. This concludes our presentation. We thank you for your time and would like to open the floor for any questions or comments from City Council and Audit Committee members. Any comments on the recommendations? Any closing remarks? I appreciate your cooperation and 
<clears throat> participation in the audit. I'm delighted that we all agree uh, on the recommendations. So thank you. Yeah, I, um, I, I just want to thank your team um, led by uh, Emily. It was a pleasure to work with you. And I think communication was always really clear and, uh, and transparent and timely. Um, so appreciate um, all of that and setting us up for, um, I think, being able to share um, what we're proud of developing over the last uh, four and a half years um, and uh, that we have the same goal in mind. So thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Um, <clears throat> next item is general business. We'll meet here on Thursday, January 18th at 9 o'clock. Uh, with that, we are adjourned. Thank you very much.